Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. A really nice reference tone string for me and i think they're really reliable plus the fact that you get an extra first string with them which is always nice to have in the in the gig bag as a mm, spare mm-hmm. if you break a top e but i just think they're a, a really nice is that right string, is, that, is that you get an extra first string <laughs> did, with them did your did your northern mentality kick yeah, in yeah it did like, didn't it <laughs> do you mean i get seven strings for the price of six kieran <laughs> sorry ernie ball you're losing your customer <laughs> Greetings! Welcome to the next episode of Guitar Smarts Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we did a podcast on the eight things that every guitarist should be able to do to maintain their instrument. We split it over two podcasts. If you haven't listened to those, go back and check them out because they were really interesting. It really spurred me on to start looking after my guitars much more and to invest some time and effort and a little bit of money into some tools to properly maintain my instruments. And and I did that over the previous weeks with my Strat. And this week we're discussing the process I went through in following those steps and the success I had in maintaining my instrument. And as you'll hear in the in the podcast, I really feel like I've got a new guitar. Come and check us out on our social media channels. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guitar smarts. And we're on Instagram as well. Our handle there is at guitar underscore smarts. Come and say hello. Come and give us some questions. We do like to do listener questions on the show. So if you have any questions for us, just uh, send them over to us on the social media channels. And remember, if you like this podcast, if you're interested in what you're hearing, uh, then subscribe. Subscribe in your favourite podcast app, whether that's Spotify, iTunes or anywhere else. Uh, you can get this podcast everywhere. Anyway, let's get to it. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, Matt. How- I'm really good. How's life? You well? Fantastic. Yeah, busy. Very busy. Busy week. But I'm glad it's Friday. Um, and another podcast to do. How about, how's your week been? It's been, uh, I don't know if I, I might say this quite a lot when we start a podcast, but yeah, it's been another full on week at work, which I'm sure it has been for most people. Um, the whole working from home thing is now the kind of new norm and just, yeah, kind of trying to manage that, stay sane. We're in the UK, so we're still very much in the throes of lockdown. Uh, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine's being rolled out and more and more people are getting it here. And, uh, yeah, uh, the vaccine. Uh, exactly. And, uh, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> the vaccine. 
so yeah, I'm, I'm, I am good, mate. And um, yeah, the week has flown by. I don't know how you're finding it, but just the weeks yeah, are flying really by, uh, which is which is strange in terms of kind of just trying to keep track of time and keep sane. But it's also good in that it means that before I know it, it's time to have a chat with my, with my buddy on a Friday. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Can have a catch up. And it's been a super um, kind of eventful week for me, guitar-wise. Right? Because you remember you remember a few weeks ago, you did your we did our little podcast about guitar maintenance, the eight things that, that everyone should be able to do, right? And and I made a commitment to myself after that that I was going to start upping my game because it's it's terrible that, I, that I've been a guitarist for as long as I have and still passionate as I am about playing guitar, that I've never really made any effort to really understand how to maintain my guitar properly. Usually it's always it's been a case of reactive maintenance. Something's not right, so I'll fix it and I'll change strings when... Um, it starts feeling like I'm I'm not playing with steel strings anymore, and I'm playing with some kind of fine, <laughs> with abrasive wire. You know, yeah, <laughs> terrible, really. Um, so, so I, I made a real commitment, and I tell you what, I feel like I've got a new guitar. Oh, mate, that's so nice really to hear. Do. And look, you're not you're not alone. Like it's like I think I used the analogy before, right? But most a lot of people love driving nice cars, but you know they they don't, they're not necessarily mechanically inclined, so they'll get a mechanic to fix it. So so that's cool. You know, I think there's plenty of people that where the the kind of you know maintaining or or you know doing some tech stuff to their guitar doesn't really appeal to them. But I think what we were trying to say last time, and what I was trying to kind of say to you or encourage you to do is. Give it a go and see, yeah. you know, and especially because during lockdown, we're not gigging and we're kind of practicing at home. So we've got a little bit of time to do these kind of things, but also because there's nothing worse than trying to practice or trying to get a new piece and just feeling like the instrument's fighting against you, because then it becomes very easy to kind of put it down and go, oh, you know what? It needs a good setup. I'll get that sorted after lockdown. And then before you know it, you've just not played guitar for a while, or at least that's how how, how I know it might go for some people. So the fact that you've had a go at it this week, but I think more than had a go because, you know, we've been exchanging texts and stuff during the week. And uh, it sounds like you're really happy with, with, with how it's turned out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you got a new guitar, as you say. <laughs> I was just, well, first of all, it, it wasn't the big upheaval I kind of thought it might have been, or at okay. least that I've maybe spent years thinking setting up a guitar is, you know. One thing to make clear here is my view of, of uh, what guitar technicians do is still the same. There's still a lot of stuff that can be done with my guitar that I'm not willing to touch, things that I know will still benefit. There's still another level of things that will improve, particularly my Strat. We're talking about my Strat here, so for, for our yep. listeners, I've got a Made in Mexico classic player Strat from 2012. Um, I think it was the last year they made them where they had the six-screw bridge. So it's very much a just a classic Strat design. Um, it's got a vintage radius, seven and a quarter inch radius, um, which I didn't realize it had actually until I started this process. But I've had that since um, my 30th birthday. My my lovely wife bought me that on my 30th and 38 now. So that's, that's a good eight years I've owned this guitar without it being... Uh, it's never it's never seen a technician. It's never seen a setup. Wow. It was beautiful out of the box, and I've just changed the strings and adjusted a few things over time, but never really given it anything other than a, uh, never really given it anything other than a, a string change and an occasional adjustment on the bridge where the saddles seem to drop um, on the grub screws and a lemon oil of the neck every so often of the fretboard that is. So so this week's really been about me trying to well what can I do with that guitar to really 
make it the best it can within my own abilities. You know, with the advice that you gave recently in the podcast about all those different things, and it's just been it's just been a revelation. You know, it, these are things I didn't realise were in my capability. You know, I didn't think I could polish the frets. You know, I thought that's that's a that's a pretty big job, but I've done it, and I can't I can't believe the difference just that has made. To the playing experience, it's just amazing, having, isn't it? I was like, "How much is this, my frets really going to feel that much smoother?" I remember going over one of them, and I, I, I bought a product from. There's lots of different products available for for polishing frets, you know, and more traditional methods and some modern things. But in the end, I yeah. Went what did for, you buy in the end? Because I because we recommended a few things on the podcast, yeah. didn't we? And then we had a few exchanges on text um, where you said, "Oh, should I get this one or should I get that?" And I kind of said, "Yeah, we mentioned those." And then I sent you another couple of links and said, "I've also had this is." pretty good i haven't tried this one but i'm gonna maybe get it for, for next time so what did you end up going with in the end for, okay. for polishing so, so i went with a product from a company called crimson guitars and they do something oh, called yeah. fret yeah. polishing rubbers um so right, instead of using wire wool what they've done is they've, they've manufactured some um some rubbers so like an like an eraser like what you would use for you know rubbing out pencil so it's just exactly feel they feel like that there's four of them and and what they've done is they've embedded into that product abrasive material of different grades yes um and they've, it goes from coarse down to medium to fine to super fine. And if you if you polish your fret in that order using them, then you end up with uh, a much nicer, smoother finish. Basically, each rubber is kind of polishing away the scratches from the previous one until you get down to a nice, smooth finish. And the reason I went for that product is I thought I thought it was really good value because for the whole set it was about twenty quid. And I must say we're not obviously we're not sponsored or anything like that. this. Is our own? This is my choice to have chosen those products. So this is. Kind Kind of an honest review. Uh, I thought it was good value to, to buy all four all four rubbers, but the other thing as well is I thought there's a lot of longevity in those. You know, it's not like something that I'll use once and dispose of. If I fret polish my guitar maybe twice a year, I can't imagine I'll get much less than about ten years use out of them. You know, because oh, they're going to last doing, for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. So after doing one guitar, I mean, it's hardly there's just there's just um you know a little bit of wear on those rubbers. So I thought. Those are really going to be a good investment going forward. Probably, probably won't have to buy them again. To be, to be honest, unless I buy a lot more guitars. But well, I've done, um, I've done probably a couple of dozen guitars <clears throat> with those fret rubbers since I moved over to using them. Um, and yeah, it was a game. It was a game changer for me. Uh, it's just so much less messy than using wire wool and having to kind of mask off fretboards and fingerboards in that way you know you've really got to be careful when you're using wire wool and i know that it's a it's a, a time-honored you know route for polishing frets and you get beautiful results they come up really really well with super you know triple zero uh, you know wire wool really fine grade but you've really got to be careful of those little shards of metal because they will go straight to the pickup if you've not if you've not taped it off and even when you tape it off you've still got to be really careful because you know if you do if you do that a few times on the guitar there are invariably little little bits of, of fine metal particles that are going to go into the pickup and it can ruin it so i just think this is a much more um, convenient and less messy and potentially less damaging way of doing of doing fret polishing and um you know even though we're using the crimson guitar product at the moment both of us and i and i really do like the crimson guitar tools that are coming out um i always used to buy my stuff from Stu mac which um for me being based in the uk obviously meant that that was expensive to do with kind of import and shipping and all of that but the Stu mac stuff is, is is lovely stuff but it is it is quite pricey if you're if you're not us based 
Um, and now we've got, you know, Crimson Guitars, which is uh, a great um, luthery school and, and uh, place in the UK. So having access to these tools is, is brilliant. But um, so I definitely recommend those. I've seen those fret rubbers being advertised on Amazon and things. So obviously there are companies making them out of China and stuff. I haven't tried them. I can't say whether they're as good or not, but certainly this product is great. The other product that I'm going to try for that as well that I think is is coming out, uh, Music Nomad do a few uh, good products on this, which I'm looking at at the moment. I'm you know going to try some of those. I'm sure they'll be very good there's a company called lizard spit as well that does some guitar stuff and i've heard some really good things about their fret polishing um pads as well but yeah uh, so that was that the first thing that you did to your strat after you'd taken all the strings off you just went right i'm going to start with it with it with a fret polish and 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 that's the first thing that you did this week yes yes absolutely so uh, that's what i I, I got stuck into. Um, there are a few other little things I did outside. I mean, I, I kind of cast my eye over everything on the guitar and kind of, uh, like, for example, on the tuning pegs, I kind of went, you know, checked that they were screwed in properly. I'm about halfway through the same thing with my Les Paul, my Epiphone Les Paul at the moment. Obviously, our listeners won't be able to see, but you can just see behind me where it's hung up on the wall. There's no there's no bridge there's on no it or, or, or anything like that, no yeah. string. It's all, it's, and there's no electronics in there other than the pickups either because um, obviously I'm, I'm just about to rewire it with some um, better products. But um, I noticed on the headstock when I was taking the strings off of it that my tuning pegs are a little bit loose. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that the Grover tuners were just a single screw on the back and a nut on the, on the, on the face of it, and they just needed slightly tightening up. But um, little things like that, I started casting my eye over things and just kind of um, looking at, uh, you know, is this how it should be? And just trying to apply a little bit of detail. Because I kind of approached it thinking this is going to be a case of minimal gains all adding up to one, you know, one big improvement. You know, if I if I just make sure some things are tight here and as they should be and clean and, and getting a little bit of tissue and getting rid of some grit out of the nut maybe, if there's anything there, just, just checking everything to the finest deal. Then I thought in my mind, well, it's going to be as good as it can be once I've finished, even if it's still only kind of 70% as good as what a good tech could do. Because I'm sure if I gave this to you, you'd still find things, you know, like you probably make a slightly different adjustment to the truss rod or something, you know. But, you know, I was trying to aim for the best as I could. So, so yes, you're right. That's the first thing I did was was go over the frets with the frets rubber. And it was a bit of a far old bit of um, elbow yeah. grease. And the, and, the, yeah. and here's the other good thing about those fret rubbers, exactly as you said, the, the more suited, I thought, Beth, if, if I was going to use wire wool, a more traditional method, mm-hmm. I thought I was really going to suffer because I don't have a proper workbench. You know, it's not something I want to do at the kitchen table. Um, where I was using those fret rubbers because it's a lot less messy. It was a lot easier for me to kind of do that in a normal home situation. How, how did you? Where did you work? Where did you do this work? Then? So a little on bit the, here, in, desk in, or? in the office yeah. on on the desk, um, and you know a little bit. Well, actually, yeah, I did did everything here, just kind of at, at my desk. I made room for, and it's not. I don't have a very big desk at all. I never felt like I was inconvenienced by the space I had, but I think that probably would have been the case if I'd have tried using wire wool and stuff you know probably would have felt like i needed more of a dedicated area for you know making a mess so to speak yeah absolutely i think i think it's a really good point though which is before you start doing some of the stuff find somewhere comfortable to work right comfortable for you physically and come and kind of safe for the guitar as well because i remember doing a lot of when i was learning to do a lot of this stuff on my kind of guitars growing up and things like that 
it was invariably done on, on my lap or on a bed or something where, you know, I, I was living under my parents' house. We're going back decades and decades. Here, right? yeah. so I didn't have a workspace and maybe at the time I didn't have a desk or anything. But, you know, now when I'm doing a lot of this stuff to have a dedicated kind of uh, desk or, you know, stroke workbench to do it at, and it just makes the process more enjoyable and comfortable and you can you know have your stuff out that you need and and easy to hand and organized so that you can get all those little bits but i mean that's because i'm doing you know sometimes two three four guitars uh you know in a, in a day if i've if i've set aside a day to do it for, for people so you want to be comfortable but i think for something like uh doing the fret polishing as you as you found you know it's uh you've got to dedicate like a, a good kind of half an hour at least yeah. to doing it right yeah. so it's one of those ones to put some tunes on you know yeah. make sure that make sure the kids are occupied make sure the wife's happy doing something <laughs> and then just like put some tunes on and just yeah kind of get into it into that kind of monotony that will come from just doing each yeah, fret and exactly. not rushing it and not be not get to like fret 12 and go oh this is getting a bit dull now i'm just gonna rush through the rest of them because it you know you're not gonna get the best result but yeah it, yeah and i started off with like i went just to the 21st fret you know like the very top fret and i kind of i thought well i'm just gonna do one fret the whole process of it you know going from coarse to super fine to try and um you know, do the whole thing. I didn't know how long I was meant to do it. Actually, I would say, seeing as we're being completely impartial, my only criticism of, of Crimson was that it didn't come with any instructions. So I guess they're, they're assuming that they're selling mostly to people who know what they're doing and looking for tools to support yeah. their business or what they do. Um, but for me, being an amateur and looking to get something to just arm myself with some more tools to better maintain my guitars... Um, it would have been helpful for just to be like maybe an, a, a you know an A4 piece of paper printed with the package, just saying this is how we recommend you use them. Um, but it's not rocket science either. I mean, how else can you use them other than to rub them against your fret for a while? You know. <laughs> um, so I thought I'll try yeah, it on but- one fret. I'll go through the range of rubbers that I have um, and then see what it's like. Kind of basically, I did about. Not very, just just kind of two or three minutes on each rubber, basically for, for you know just to try and you know with with even pressure not trying to overdo the pressure but just making sure there's even pressure across the entire fret and then i thought i'll see what it's like against the next fret and i couldn't i couldn't believe the difference i mean i was just moving my finger across the fret and i and i thought quite there's there's so much oxidation on on the yes. frets you know that i didn't realize was there you just thought it was slightly dull from being played but actually it's it's quite a lot of oxidation that's built It's grime, up. it's crud, it's oxidation, yeah. it's tarnish. It's it's all of those things that are in between your nice brand new set of strings and your fret, which when you want to be bending and you want to be, you know, uh, kind of fluid on the guitar neck as you're playing, these things, that's a source of friction. And it's and it's it's potentially yeah, just robbing you of, of, of tone, even though it's a simple thing. So sorry to interrupt this super interesting conversation. However, if you've made it this far, you should probably subscribe to the Guitar Smarts podcast. You can do that in your favourite podcast app. Go and do that now and then come back to the show. Let's get back to it. As you know, I had some issues with the the, the original manufacturer's um, yeah. t- tremolo system that I had on it. I seem to have this, this fault happening with the grub screws on the saddles where if I set the height of the grub screw it it might only be a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden 
it's changed highs. It's like the vibration of the string is making it, you know, and I found that frustrating. But also the other issue I've had with it is um, the tremolo arm, um, the the... The the hole for the tremolo arm is it's a screwing tremolo and it's kind of it's tapped out you know as you would expect. However, yeah, um, it's tapped in at a funny angle. So when I put my tremolo arm in to screw in, it's like mm. it's leaning back away from the tremolo. Um, and I wonder if it's just like a manufacturing fault. Um, but it kind of meant um, well, one I could never get get it into a position that I liked because it's leaning in a funny direction. Um, and I do want to start using it a little bit more because, you know, I'm into certain guitarists at the moment that use it quite a lot, like, you know, Lukather and Jimmy Herring and people like that. Um, and I just thought, well, maybe what, what can I get? And you recommended, you know, f- um, for really, really reasonable cost, um, um, another product, um, uh, which was the Wilkins- Wilkinson WV6 Tremolo, um, and I ordered that and it was just a perfect swap and it's so much better. It feels better quality than the original one. It was easy to install. Crucially, it's got a push-in trem arm instead of a screw-in one, and it sits perfectly. And not only does it sit perfectly, it's got a little bit of tension in the mm-hmm. fitting such that it doesn't just swing away when you're not using it. It stays where you leave it, which I found was part of the problem with my old one. That was that was something that you know I was really excited about doing with this guitar, was upgrading also part of the hardware. So can I can I can I kind of talk uh, a little bit about about that kind of trend thing? Because I don't yeah. think we covered it on a on a on a recent podcast. So what you're describing is actually a really uh, relatively common issue that I've seen on on strats, not just kind of um, you know uh, cheaper or moderately priced strats, or then mid range strats like yours, but even really expensive, you know, um, uh, American standard ones, or, um, which is the, the grub screws on the individual saddle pieces over time, either through kind of corrosion, through sweat and playing or adjustment, um, the, the grub screws and the threads within the saddle that the grub screws go into that keep that saddle at the, at the desired height can just start to wear away. And to the, to, so you get then what you're describing, which is as you're kind of putting your palm on the saddle as you're playing or palm muting or anything, or just kind of strumming whatever with your right hand, it's knocking and it's, and it's, and it's hitting upon those saddle pieces. And, and obviously if the screws aren't there, uh, with enough strength in the thread to hold them into the saddle, it just slips. So it's really frustrating, uh, and now there's a couple of different fixes you can do with that. There's a few cheap hacks, right? Which is you can put some PTFE kind of tape. It's a bit of this very fiddly way to do it around those mm. threads on those little tiny grub screws and just give them a little bit more resistance in the threads to see if that fixes it. You can just buy those individual grub screws um, from loads of different kind of uh, guitar sites and just replace them and see if that does it, particularly if the corrosion is on the on the grub screw itself and just having a slightly newer thread with a little bit more meat on it might just bite into it, uh, into the into the hole a bit more, so keep it. So that's a really kind of cheap uh, fix for that, just replace the grub screws. If the entire saddle thing has not been machined well or the corrosion over the years has just meant that even the internal uh, thread uh, in the saddle that the grub screw grows into is gone, then yeah, you might just be looking at replacing all the saddle pieces uh, in one go. So if you're happy with the trem itself, then you can just replace those individual bits. But we decided for you that actually, you, you know, on balance, 
it just replaced the entire trem block unit itself saddles and all and wilkinson make a really really kind of good quality affordable range of hardware so uh, we just you know made sure that it was the right trem block size for your guitar the right spacing for the six different you know mounting holes because there's a there's a whole minefield of different trems you can get out there and uh, and you went for that which is which i think is a really great you know replacement but also a massive accomplishment for you in in terms of replacing that because it's not a it's not a it's an easy enough thing to put the trem in but then balancing a new trem on a setup if you're not an experienced guitar tech is 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 a bit of toing and froing so did did you did you find yourself having to kind of keep repeating different steps to try and get the trem to float in the right place once you'd once you'd reinstalled it or did you get lucky and it and it all just kind of went back together really really easily <laughs> i think i got lucky <laughs> did you I, 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 I didn't do too, too much with it other than it came with false springs and i put three of them on did um, i have three before um no i only had two on previously on the old one <laughs> however um i did have the so that 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 claw that goes in that you hook the spring yes. the springs onto at the back um yes. i did have that screwed right in so um i i unscrewed that slightly and put put more on and thought well that's gonna i don't know what i thought really <laughs> i just kind of <laughs> thought i i don't want it under too much tension but um yeah. i i think i want three three springs on it for the sake of feel um in terms of resistance when i'm using the trem kind of thing i don't want it to just i don't want it to be balanced nice with the string but when i when i put my hand on the trem for it to just go whoom, straight down kind of thing you know i do i want it to there to be a little bit of a fight against my hand rather as well as the strings so that's what i started with and it's what i've left with because once i'd strung it up and uh, and kind of got the the saddle heights set up and everything which we'll talk about in a bit because i'm that that was an interesting part of the process but yeah it was it was just a case of it's a six screw bridge right i read up on a, on on how some people have kind of set those up and what i read a few times is that what some people do with those and find that they have better stability and better kind of control mm. is that um, the middle four screws they actually yeah. don't don't do as tight as the outer two, so exactly. that's that's what I've done. So actually on mine the middle four screws are, are probably got about I'd say about still another half a millimeter of travel to go before they'll clamp down on the trem itself. So I guess what exactly. they're doing is they're helping to hold its position, but they're not restricting its the trem's movement, the movement of it. Exactly the, right. The outer I two to are kind of. No, it's all right. It's 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 it was a it was a fascinating kind of process trying to figure that out because I did think like yeah, here's a funny thing. I never mentioned this when we were talking about it. Um, when I took the old tremolo off, what I found underneath it as well was quite a lot of waxy kind of residue, and I wonder if um, the original manufacturer for some reason had, had used wax as some kind of lubricant of some kind for the movement of the trem i mean it's got all kind it literally looks like they've melted a candle underneath it really? i thought that can't be me <laughs> my skin and sweat or something from it but it was weird so i had to take a lot of that out and i've put this one in um obviously i think it's still settling in but my initial reactions to it are that you know the tuning stability is really good and that's partly mm. because i've also lubricated all the contact points for the string. So I've, I've put a little bit of lubricant on um, the saddles over the nut and also on the string tree as well for the first and second strings. I noticed after putting new strings on that I kind of had this feeling that maybe it'll probably go out of tune quite a lot for the, until it settles in, but it seems to be pretty good once it's in tune. It was a fun upgrade to do. I think you've done really well, mate, um, especially for your kind of first proper foray into doing a mod on, on your guitar um, because... 
what you what beginners often not beginners what people often find right is that they'll get the trem to what they think is the right place and then as they start to make other adjustments and the strings start to stretch in uh it changes completely and starts to float in a different way or pull pull in a different way so and then they start to do different things like adjust how deep the claw screws are because that mm-hmm. has an impact on on how on the counter tension that the strings are exerting on the trem and and a lot of people that i know that i've that have asked my help over the phone or stuff like that on, on these kinds of things they keep end up chasing their tail with it and, and they can't get it right so uh, a degree of luck also helps with it but yeah. um, the first thing i would say is once you've done that get your strings back on obviously and get them properly stretched in and tuned up to pitch because there's nothing more frustrating if you're trying to set up a floating trim like that and then the strings are constantly stretching and, and exerting a different tension so make sure those strings are really stretched in nicely by just kind of gently pulling on them at different places along the length of the string um, and then tuning them back up to pitch and and repeating that process three, four, five times uh, until they stop shifting in pitch as you stretch them. And then you can start to assess the guitar and go, right, okay, let's have a look at the relief and see what that's doing. Let's have a look and see what the tension is on those screws that are pulling the claw into the body of the guitar on the, on the trim to see, you know, how it's making it float. You know, what do I need to do then with the kind of saddle pieces and things? And it's all a, bit, a little bit of toing and froing, but, um, and then intonation, obviously right at the end, once you've, once you've done all of that, but it sounds, uh, it sounds like through, through a good, a good amount of common sense and, you know, having a go at it, you, you've done it, which is brilliant. I, well, like I said at the start, I genuinely feel like it's it's a new guitar. It doesn't. It feels feels better in every way. It feels more comfortable cool. to play. Um, I feel like it's working better. Another thing I did as well, based on on the recommendations recommendations you'd made in in the previous podcast about guitar maintenance, is before I restrung it, I popped the the uh, scratch plate off, turned it around, and I gave it a dust off inside. Um, I applied some switch cleaner into the pots a few times and just spent five, six minutes just turning the pots up and down to really work it through. Um, same on the switch. I don't know if it's made a difference sound-wise. I can't say there's anything noticeable, but I felt that was an important thing to do just for the maintenance of of the electronics. And then I put the uh, I put the scratch plate back on. One one key bit of advice I don't think we ever said, but but is something that's important to mention as well. It's just <laughs> people remember to always use the right size screwdriver head for oh, your little yeah. little screws and things. Because you know if you use something that's too small or too big, you don't want to kind of shred. <laughs> the head to any of the screws because i guess all the scratch plate screws and um you know the the rear tremolo cover screws and things like that those are actually quite delicate little screws and you don't want to end up in a situation where you've got to drill them out or anything like that not that i had that issue but um it just occurred to me that was something that being an engineer that's something i always make sure i've got anyway it's kind of definitely when i'm doing things take um, take a few minutes to find the right screwdriver and yeah if it feels like it's slipping or it feels like it's not if it's going to do any damage yeah because it's just a pain uh, the other thing i would say on that note as well i always have on my on my workbench a couple of things when i'm taking guitars apart which is a piece of paper and, and a pen just so i can write down any little notes uh, particularly if i'm doing electronics and stuff like that uh, and i often have my iphone handy as well to take a picture um, before i start 
um, you know, replacing any electronics and things, not obviously on, on kind of basic guitar wirings and stuff, but I've done some dishearteningly complex ones over the years where you open it up and you go, oh, the, the customer wants all of this, you know, uh, coil split or, or tapped and then all this complex switching and all this push-pull stuff and you just go, right, I'm just going to need to take a picture of all of this first before I then start taking it all apart and, and redoing it and replacing bits. So that's, that's kind of a little handy hint. But then when it comes to the screws, always keep a little pot there yes. as well uh, or a little container put all your little screws in there because there's nothing more frustrating than dropping one of those and not being able to find it and and also if, if it's a particularly expensive or, or vintage guitar what i also do is i keep a piece of like um double-sided tape uh on the workbench and um what i'll do is i'll take the screws out in a real particular order and then invert them and stick the heads of them onto this tape and then label oh which screw has come from which bit so that they i know this is a little bit ocd right but then, then it means that so every screw goes the back same in the screw. place it came from <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well, which, that's, that's... which sometimes can be something you want to do if it's a particularly vintage instrument or somebody's pride and joy and uh and even because right you know from factory some of these screw holes have been drilled slightly differently and therefore they mount slightly differently in different parts of the guitar and base yeah we're getting a little bit too too uh, well i think i think that shows discipline and i think i think if you can be disciplined even with things like that then that's going to feed into how how much detail and effort you put into you know everything else next thing was to do uh, put the strings in, get them tuned up, and then it was um, figuring out if I needed to adjust the truss rod. Um, well, yeah. first, the first is getting the radius and the height right on the strings. Now, the process I followed for that was um, I used a, um, a string height ruler that I got with some uh, radius gauges to set the height of the sixth string and the first string to what it recommended. So one and a okay, half to cool. two mil on the sixth string, and yeah. a mil to, to one and a half mil on the first string. And then I and then with those strings in tune or the whole guitar in tune, I checked if I was getting a little bit of buzzing. I was getting a little bit of buzzing high up. Um, so I just raised the saddle heights again slightly until I was happy. And then I used the radius gauge to bring the other strings to follow the same profile. So with the radius gauge sat on like the, the first and the sixth string, I then raised the others up and then checked for buzzing. There's a little bit of buzzing here and there, but I just sorted that with some fine adjustments and it played well. And then I thought I'll check the relief on the neck by putting a capo on the first fret and holding the strings down at the 12th fret and just checking that there was still space between the string and the fifth fret. That's what I thought I would do. And there was, I was just, just a tiny little bit of space so I could tap on the string and I could hear the string then tapping on the fret. So I thought, yeah, well, so you create a straight edge with the string is. effectively. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and because I'm getting a tap on the fifth fret, I know the, the neck is then therefore re it has relief away from the string. That's it. That's it. Right. You can use so. feeler gauges and look up the kind of feeler gauge kind of uh, measurements uh, that you would want to have as that clearance at either the, the kind of, you know, seventh fret or twelfth fret or, or whatever. Uh, uh, but I and I've got those feeler gauges and sometimes I use them just to double check but more often than not I do I do exactly what you do which is I hold down on the first fret mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I use my thumb to hold down on the 15th or 16th fret and then I extend my index finger yeah. into the middle of the neck and I just yeah. tap down so you can do it all with your fingers just really easily you don't even need a capo you can just do it like that and just press down and go oh yeah there's relief there there's, and I've, you get it to the stage where you can just eyeball it and go 
Yeah. No, needs more, needs less. Um, but what you did is absolutely, absolutely spot on, mate. Cool. Good. Um, on the regarding the saddle uh thing just a little uh tip for, for next time you do it as well did you did you say you use the saddle radius uh gauge did you rest it on the top of the uh well, strings I, I i did mainly because i i know that what i i know that they were meant to be under string radius gauges so that but I, once i got the strings on i couldn't get it under the strings next to the saddles right um and then I thought, well, I know the I know the I know the other side of the gauge is correct because when I put it against it. the neck, it fits perfectly on that seven and a quarter. Yeah. So so I just rested it on top, and it also made it a little bit easier to get it out of the way when I was making some adjustments rather than For sure. having it kind For of sure. stuck under the string. Um, but would you recommend it's it's better you get a better adjustment if you have that feeling if you have that gauge underneath the strings rather than on top? Well, the the, ra- the radius on those under saddle gauges should be the same on the top edge and the bottom and, and the bottom edge of it. So there's no right or wrong. It's all personal preference, right? But <clears throat> the way that I do it is once I've got exactly as you said, once I've got my uh, sixth and first string to roughly where I think it might need to start to be, I. Uh, which is exactly the types of millimeter measurements that you mentioned, that kind of one and a half mil-ish uh, kind of median point, and then kind of raise it up or down after, at the end when I've got some some playing uh, going on on it, is I I put the, the radius gauge un- underneath. All right, so what I do is I slide them very carefully underneath uh, the strings so that it's up against the scratch plate, and then I gently move it up to where it butts up against the saddle itself and then you lift the le- the, the handle on it so that the handle is right uh, underneath. The, and, and the handle comes up between like the G and the D string. Between, right, right yeah. in the middle of them, yeah. So the handle comes up right there. What I then do is I raise up all of those uh, A to B string saddles, those middle ones, I raise them up quite high, right? Right, so okay. I know that they're, I know that they're deliberately high. And then what you can do is you keep the um, handle of the, of the radius gauge held up so that the edges of it are touching the sixth and the first string. And then you start to lower the uh, middle saddles until they come into contact with that top edge. And the reason I like doing that is because what you can do as you're doing it is you can press on the string and you can see where it's actually touching the edge of this, the, ra- the um, radius gauge, right, but not okay. as you're going along. So you're not just doing it by eye, you're doing it by feel. And if you press and it then starts to move the, the radius gauge, you can go, ah, it's touching the top of it now, back off a little bit, yeah. So it's kind of, I, I don't know if that that comes across <clears throat> well or not, as I'm describing So I guess what it. you're saying is because, because you're holding that radius gauge up rather than holding it down on top of the strings, that enables you to feel better when... It's it's at the right location. Exactly, mate. So exactly. what was going through my mind was that it. I was I was kind of because I tested the radius gauge against my actual fretboard when I was doing the doing the thing. I was thinking, well, it's going to be awkward to to have it under the strings. But also in my mind, I was thinking, well, the the bottom of the radius gauge is is the only part of the gauge that I've actually been able to use to verify. Mm. that it, it, it is the same radius as my fretboard, right? I can't use the top yeah. part of it to do that. So I was kind of like, well, I only really trust the bottom side of it <laughs> at the moment. And also that they were about £4 from Amazon. So I was kind of like, well, yeah. is the top really going to be that accurate? Um, I know the underside is accurate. So um, 
So that's kind of why I did it that way. But I think if I try that again, I think I still have got some tweaks to do, you know, as, as it settles in and it goes down, I might have another go at that just to see if I can get it a little bit better. Uh, the risk of opening a can of worms next is strings. Mm. <laughs> I know this is this is a subject that you want to talk about, which is great because I want to. I want to. I'm sure our listeners really want to talk about strings again. This is something that occurred to me recently, which is since I've played guitar, and this is 25 years, I've gone to shops or gone online and I've bought yeah. a very particular brand of strings. I've never strayed from that. It's not. And it's not necessarily out of, well, no, nobody's better. It's just, well, I, I know this. I know what this one feels like, so I'm going to stick with that. And now I'm kind of like, I don't know if I need to change my, whether there's better strings out there or the gauge, because I was playing with 10s previously. And after not playing for a long time through lockdown, I thought I might just drop down to 9s for the sake of a little bit of a easier playing experience for the time being until gigging again. And I did that with the Les Paul before upgrading the Strat. I really liked it. And I know there's a scale length difference there. Um, sure. But I thought I'll probably like nines on the Strat as well. And I've set the guitar up. And I think, I think, um, I think I'm going to go back to tens or maybe nine and a half because I like nines, but it's almost a little bit too easy. Um, and I don't know whether that's a combination of, if I hadn't have set the guitar up and put nines on, maybe I would have liked nines. But now, because the guitar is clearly easier to play and better set up, I wonder if putting tens on or something would give me just a little bit more resistance to. I don't, I don't know. What 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 are your what's what's your kind of knowledge and thoughts and wisdom on strings? Uh, I don't know if it's wisdom, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's just kind of trial and error over the years and experimenting and realizing there is no one size fits all rule in terms of uh, of this. But there's a few kind of general principles and bits of advice that we can talk about. So let's let's have a very quick chat without going too down the rabbit hole about string gauges, which is do what feels right with string gauges. So um, it's a balance between tone and playability and what just feels right. You know, you're describing mm. something which is I've put these nines on now and it just feels a bit flimsy. And, you know, that's, that. you know, if that's what you're feeling, it's going to be distracting to your playing and it's, and it's going to not kind of make you enjoy the playing of it. And I think what you've said is probably spot on, mate, which is um, you've done some stuff now to the guitar that hasn't been set up in eight years. <laughs> it's just amazing but now it's set up now you now you now you've set it up so um it is going to it is going to play more easily and so again that's going to make those set of nines probably feel a lot less less work so you're now going mm, it's 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 i'm going to go back to tens there is a whole kind of school of thought around you know this mentality that the heavier the gauge the string obviously it's harder to play but the proposed benefits are that you yield increased tone and uh, all of that kind of stuff and there's a there's a quite logical school of thought that works in the opposite direction that says that's just a myth perpetuated by legendary guitar players that use really heavy strings and actually uh, when you record with a lighter set of strings or play with a lighter set of strings the clarity and the tone of the guitar is is less muddy and, and better so you know, I'm not going to take sides on that argument. I'm going to say play whatever gauge string feels right for you on that guitar. Um, because again, based on the setup that you can achieve on, you know, one strat compared to another strat, you still even might find with identical scale length guitars and those strats that subtle differences between those strats 
means that you prefer nines on one and tens on another. And that could be due to the, the radius of the thing, the, the neck profile. It could just be just the individual tolerances of that guitar that have meant you can get it to perform in a certain way in terms of action and setup. That means tens are the right set of strings on that guitar versus versus nines but so there is no hard and fast rule like i have um i have some les pauls where um there are i mean generally speaking i use tens on a les paul but there's one les paul that i've got where i do a different way of of, the, of putting the strings on where i top wrap them oh, over yes. the tailpiece rather than through the tailpiece you know like bonamassa and stuff like that does and that changes the kind of break angle of the string over the saddle and things but it, what it also does is it massively changes the tension and the feel on the string so that a set of tens on that les paul now feels very different and very slinky in a nice way but i've actually then gone up to a set of 11s on that because it it feels right and still has that kind of slinky feel um so play with it experiment and do what do what feels feels right mate on the on the on the string gauges and then you you then you sent me a message last night which is what what brand of strings do you use and you know that's a, that's a that's another minefield isn't it really but um uh, I use Rotos. I use Rotosounds uh, as my kind of go-to electric guitar string of choice. Um, what are you using? Ernie Balls? Ernie Balls. I've, it's all yeah. just the standard ones. None of the, yeah. you know, the, the, they've got certain ranges of different materials. I've, I've always just stuck with regular slinkies. Um, yeah. And and recently, um, you know, the nines of choice was the super slinkies. So I've never gone from anything. You know, I've got friends who play things like the Elixir, NanoWeb one, you know that, that they that, you know they wouldn't want to stray from, or you know Dodarios and all kinds of. I, I don't. Um, I should maybe just try some out. But I'm also <laughs> it's because I'm innately tight. I'm kind of like, well, if I don't like the strings after I've put them on, I'm like, well, I still want to get, I still want to get a couple of months of use out of them. I don't want to just take them off and put some other strings on. <laughs> I don't want to. No, waste. and and it's a, these are su- right. There's, there's going to be subtle differences if you're playing within the same material type for your electric guitar string. Uh, so, you know, things like the su- the slinkies, regular slinkies, super slinkies, whatever, that's all, you know, gauge differences between those names. And things like the Rotosounds that I use or the Daddario's, uh, which are another, you know, really kind of popular kind of brand. These are nickel plated strings round wound round a round a steel uh core so they're basically made of the same kind of stuff slightly different manufacturing processes maybe slightly different you know amounts of rat to, to core ratio i don't know it's it's all academic really i mean it's try them and see and see if you think there's a perceptible difference so i find the rotor sounds is my kind of stable predictable nice bass tone that's my kind of reference string set i would say i think they're they're really nice and uh clear they last a decent amount of time in my experience i like the sound from them it's not too bright it's not too warm it's just kind of a really nice reference tone string for me and i think they're really reliable plus the fact that you get an extra first string with them which is always nice to have in the in the gig bag as a mm-hmm. spare mm-hmm. if you break a top e but i just think they're a, a really nice is that right string, is, that, but... is that you get an extra first string <laughs> did, with them did your did your northern mentality kick yeah, in yeah it did like, didn't it <laughs> do you mean i get seven strings for the price of six kieran <laughs> 
Sorry, Ernie Ball. You're losing your customer. I literally saw your face light up then in glee. Absolute glee. Yeah, and yeah, you do, mate. You get an extra you get an extra top E. Uh, that's always been their, their kind of thing. That's not a new thing. As far as I know, they've always given away an extra top E. Not, and not for any kind of manufacturing fault where their strings are breaking so often that they have to include it. Uh, it's just a, a nice little bonus. You get that uh, included. And they're no more expensively priced than your... Uh, Ernie Balls or your Daddario's they're all about the same kind of price point so yeah I think that's a nice little added touch but if they didn't sound good and I, I wasn't happy with the quality of them and the kind of relative kind of durability of them I, that wouldn't make a difference enough yeah. to me because you're, you're spending there or thereabouts the same I'd rather have a nice set of tone but yeah I like the rotor sounds I then find the slinkies I don't know whether this is like psychological or not, but I do find the slinkies to be comparable in tone. I think they're really tone, good on tone, maybe slightly warmer than the rotor sounds, probably entirely psychological, but I do find them to, have, to be, as the name suggests, a little bit slinkier. I find them to have a little bit more give in them as they play and a little bit less tension. That could be entirely psychological, but just, just my experience of them. But I think they're a great set of strings. So try out the road sounds, see, see, see if there's any truth in that or see what you think. The Daddario's, again, I really like. I find them a bit brighter. I find the Daddario strings a little bit brighter, even the same composition. I just yeah. think they're a bit brighter. But they nicely colour code their ball ends, which is actually quite a nice thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have to, I've seen those. I've heard quite a few people say that they're brighter, which I guess is actually, that's interesting, really, because I guess if you are thinking to yourself, you know what, I wish my guitar sounded a bit brighter, mm. you wouldn't necessarily think to try a different set of strings. You might EQ your guitar differently in your amp or get an EQ pedal or something. You know, you would you would, you might change some things to try and make your guitar sound brighter, but actually it might just be you need a different set of strings for that particular guitar. So what we've talked about is relatively with those with just those three, and there are so many other string manufacturers out in the market, right? I, I like Gibson uh, vintage reissue strings as well. I think they're really nice. Um, the DR strings, I've had, I've, I've liked them on some guitars uh, and found they didn't suit other guitars. I mean, the, the, there's so many different string manufacturers. But if we just think about those three manufacturers that we've just mentioned, fundamentally, they're Rotor Sound, Ernie Ball, and Daddario. Uh, and their kind of standard electric guitar set it is, a, it is that kind of they're the same kind of material composition. So anything that you feel or notice in terms of difference between those strings when you put them on your guitar and, and sound is subtle. It's really subtle. So when we say it's slightly brighter or it feels slightly slinkier or it feels slightly warmer, these are really subjective, you know, minor differences. So have a play with it. But what you can also do is radically change the feel and sound of a guitar with the same gauge of strings by moving to a completely different material choice, right? So each of those manufacturers and, the, and indeed other manufacturers will do a pure nickel uh, version of those strings, right? So not, not a kind of nickel plated over steel core. They'll do a pure nickel electric guitar string for relatively the same cost. Now that is a different sound, uh, Fender Bullet strings, they do a version of those which I really like, but each of those manufacturers do it, and that's a much warmer string. Much warmer. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, same gauge, um, so relatively the same price, it's just made of pure nickel, and it gives a warmer tone to it, uh, softer tone. 
not muddy, not muddy at all, but just a slightly different, warmer, softer tone. So if you've got a guitar that you think is like a little bit brittle sounding, particularly in some of the, the it's a, let's, a, let's say it's a, a Strat with a, a single coil at the, at the bridge and you just find that a little bit ice picky in its sound or something like that, maybe just, you know, for, for, for a few pounds or a few bucks, put a set of pure nickel uh, wound strings on it and see if that warms it up. That's that's really going to, I think you will definitely notice the change in that. And then similarly, if you think your guitar is a bit muddy or a bit lacking in clarity, you can get uh, like stainless steel uh, round wound wrapped strings. And again, each of those manufacturers will do that. So it's changing the material composition on the winding to being a, a steel wrap rather right. than a nickel wrap. And they are bright. They are really bright and really crunchy and we'll, we'll, we've got a lot of punch to them. Um, which on, on some guitars may not be desirable, but on another guitar, you might go, that's really changed the tone in a way I really like it. So that will give you a bigger change in um, tone just for a couple of, well, not a couple of quid, but for a relatively little cost. And if you don't like it, just change it back. It's, it's simple. So there we go. So that, that, that's, that's, been the, the, that's been my journey this week with the Strat and it continues with the Les Paul this coming week um but i tell you what one of the other things is it's um not not that i i don't have gear acquisition syndrome in the sense that i go out and buy guitars all the time i i don't but i i do have a desire to i always i'm always looking at guitars online and always thinking well that'd be nice you know now i feel like i'm always looking forward to playing my strat you know i can't wait to get play my own guitar um and that's what i mean about feeling like i have a new guitar um, because I've got this renewed desire to play my own instruments rather than trying to think, well, oh, I want something new. I do feel like I've got something new. So that's my recommendation to anybody, you know, listening and thinking about whether they, you know, they're bored with their own guitar. You might find if you spend, commit a little bit of time to improving it as best as you can, that it's more of a guitar than you thought it was. Um, and you'll get more satisfaction out of playing it than you have. There we that's go. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. What a, what a fantastic way to close. That's real words of wisdom, Matt, from you there. And cool. you've lived it firsthand this week. Yeah, brilliant exactly. Stuff, and I'm going to continue to, to live that this week as well, doing the, uh, doing the Les Paul. But anyway, before we wrap up, have we got some, um, some listeners' questions at all? We have. We've, we've had some listeners' questions this week. So um, I had a question uh, come in from, uh, from Rob, uh, and Rob was asking... Um, about how to clean the pole pieces, the the the, the magnetic uh, pole pieces on uh, his pickups, because he's got a guitar, which the again it hasn't it hasn't been kind of uh, treated to to, to um, you know a good clean and, and kind of maintenance and, and set up for a little while by the looks of it, and he sent me a picture where the pole pieces themselves have gone a little bit rusty and a little bit grubby on the top, right. and and as well as all of the uh, scratch plate screws as well, which have just gone you know a bit tarnished and 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 um, not not particularly attractive looking. And he said, um, "How how do I clean?" all of this gunk off and what do I do with all of these scratch plate screws? So the scratch plate screws, I think is a fairly easy one, which is um, just replace them. They're relatively cheap. You can buy a bag of these. Uh, if you just, you know, 
Google or speak to your local kind of guitar parts store about uh, replacement scratch plate screws. They'll they'll sell you a bunch. Um, I mean, you could go to the go to the hassle of taking them all out individually and cleaning them up with some metal polish or you know a fine wire brush and stuff like that. But honestly, life's too short. Just get just get a new set, especially if it's not a vintage kind of beloved instrument, and just pop your new ones in. <clears throat> Which he was he was very happy to do, and he thought that was the right solution. And then the other thing was, I know a lot of people that. I've tried to clean those pole pieces with things that I think are not really the best thing to use. So I've seen people advising, again, mask up the pickup, use wire wool and uh, kind of gently uh, abrade all the all of the rust and gunk off. And we've already spoken about why wire wool is probably not the best thing to do that. Uh, because, and especially on the pickup itself, it's just, it's just begging for, 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 for trouble with that one. I've seen people talk about using a mixture of like lemon juice and salt as an abrasive paste and rubbing that in and using like a screwdriver to kind of scrape off the rust and things. So the answer that I gave him was buy a set of fret rubbers because it's going to do the same thing, right? You don't have to worry about the wire wall fragments. You're not putting any moisture or liquid into the, onto those pole pieces. Uh, if you've got really shiny bobbins on those pickups, uh, if they're single coil ones, just take off the cover, which you can do relatively easily. Or if it's a humbucker or something, just mask off the bobbin itself. So you, you know, you don't scratch it. Um, and uh and and go to work on it very gently with uh with with one of your kind of medium grade or or super fine fret rubbers and that uh used kind of judiciously will just take off all the the gunk on the that's great advice fantastic ingenious use of a fret rubber yes exactly and uh uh, exactly. Ingenious use of a fret rubber. I, I, that's not a general maintenance tip, though, by the way. You don't need to do that to your pole pieces. Uh, leave your pole pieces alone uh, if they, and, and if the <laughs> rust bothers you so much that, that you want to clean them up, then do that to clean them up. But it's not a regular maintenance piece. You shouldn't do it. Uh, he then uh, kind of messaged me to say... Um, do you think the rust will will, will uh, affect the tone or anything like that? And uh, I don't think it, I don't think it does personally. But I'll be I'll be interested to see if other people people do. So I don't think it's anything to worry about. I don't think it's anything to stress about. But if it bothers you aesthetically, which I, I think for me it probably would, then yeah, yeah. Go to well, a, if there's, go, a, go, go if there's any physicists, there. if there's any physicists listening to this podcast, number one, <laughs> can you tell us if the rust will affect the sound? And number two, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, my father-in-law has a PhD in 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 physics and and specialises in magnets. So, uh, oh wow. He's probably the best person to ask. Actually, what a niche, what a niche uh, kind of subject knowledge. But actually, like the perfect person to speak to about yeah, this. So exactly. he literally has a doctorate in physics and yeah. and magnets. Uh, so yeah, I, actually, I should I should just speak to him. Really. We- <laughs> Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us next week. It was. Were, were there any more questions? Uh, there, there was one more question, um, but I don't think we're going to answer it today. But I'm, I'm, we're going to leave it hanging because, and, and I'll say what the reason why we're not going to answer it today. So it was a question. Hold on, I want to get. I want to get the wording for this right. What do you guys do for motivation for playing at the moment? I've been feeling uh, a little bit kind of hard on myself when I'm picking up a guitar at the moment and feeling that my playing is not is not good enough and it's kind of getting me into a bit of a rut and a bit of a, a low point. So that's a very different type of question, right? That's kind of like, how do you get inspired to play guitar and how do you also not beat yourself up if you can't do what you want to be able to do? And um, 
I don't know. Well, what, what, what are your views on this? And, I, and I'll tell you an idea that I've got as well, which um, might go a, a longer way to answering that question. But is that something that you can relate to at all? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Massively so, especially, you know, when you feel you feel you're, you're, you're inspired by people who, you know, are, are so much more capable than you are. And then you kind of start feeling well, it seems like such a hill to climb. My, my, I think my thoughts are kind of, generally speaking, when I feel like I'm either lacking inspiration or motivation, I try and take myself back to the origins of what motivated me to play in the first place. Um, because that always works. If I go back to things that I love listening to and playing, I tend to always feel spurred on to, you know, this is why I enjoy playing. And and then I feel better about the difference between where I was then and, and where I am now. And I guess I start feeling a bit more motivated again to to continue learning. Um, but I guess sometimes it doesn't always help to look at the bigger picture of I'm this much of a guitarist and that person's way bigger, you know, a, a, a better than I am. Whereas instead, I, you try and, you know, rather than looking at things holistically, try and think about one thing and just say, well, I'm better, am I better than I, how can I be better next week than I am now in one small way? And, uh, and try and compartmentalize it into little things. Because I, I guess if you want to feel more motivated, then motivation often comes after the fact, doesn't it? It's not something you, you don't... One of the things I've learned is you, you don't wait for the motivation for something before doing it. Funnily, weirdly, motivation kind of comes afterwards. It's like, I guess, if you that go for a positive feedback loop kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's that delayed gratification. You know, you, anybody who goes yeah. jogging, you know, it's not that they're motivated to go running, and, and I'm not because I don't go running, um, but it's that they feel good afterwards for doing it, right? So I guess try and set yourself something achievable like, okay, I'm going to learn, you know, a song I haven't played before. I'm going to learn that and then you know, the motivation comes afterwards. You know, well, I've done something, I've achieved it, I feel good. Now I feel better about, you know, improve. So I would say um, maybe it's a perspective thing and maybe try and do something in your practice regime uh, or in your goal setting that allows you to change that perspective and feel a bit better about where you actually are. Yeah, I think that's really nice advice, Matt. Really, really wise words, mate. And um the reason I said it would be good to kind of keep this one going and, and, and have a kind of a fuller answer on this one is I was having a, a very similar chat with um, a guitar teacher that I know who's a really good friend about the same topic uh, this week. It was really, really cool to chat through to this with him as well, uh, because you know, it, what it made me realize is that we're all on our own kind of little individual journey with, with guitar playing. And it's really easy to kind of look at some of these virtuoso players uh, that you see online and go, oh, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to sell my guitars and take up fishing instead because yeah. I'm never going to get to that level. But, and that's, and I think we all have days like that when we just feel like we're not progressing at the rate that we want to, or, or it's a bit of a struggle. And, and don't, then on those days, don't force it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Because as you say, the next day, you'll get an amazing kind of positive uh, kind of endorphin release when you master something that you've been trying to figure out for a while. And um, 
and everyone's on their own little journey with this. And it's very, very easy to compare yourself to what you're not rather than going, well, actually, what, what can I do and what am I enjoying doing and how much have I progressed in the last month, two months and the last year versus where I was back then. Um, but I'd really like to get a guest on the show, <clears throat> which is uh, who's going to help us kind of try and unpick this um, as, as well from a guitar teacher's perspective, because I think there's a lot to be said around this. And I think there's uh, particularly during during lockdowns and, and just on the, the, the whole kind of journey of guitar playing as well, where, um, you know, we can, we can we can all kind of chat about how we've overcome these types of issues mentally to get our playing to another another place and push us forward, because it's a really common thing as well. Um, with all musicians to to feel like you're either stuck in a rut or not not good enough. So absolutely, absolutely, we shouldn't always spend our time kind of looking up the mountain. Occasionally, we should mm. look down it as well, and you know, remind ourselves, you know, how far you've kind of gone. I think it is a it is a perspective thing, and the, and these times of you know being in lockdown definitely hasn't helped in any area of life with things like that, has it? You know, sometimes you do have to kind of step back and think about it. But I look forward to doing um, a podcast about that um, and 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 going through that. I think that's a really important subject. So, um, you know, thanks thanks for those questions that we've that we've had this week. And uh, you know, as a reminder, please use our our Facebook. Uh, and Instagram, uh, Guitar Smarts, uh, kind of uh, place to get in touch with us and ask us questions, things that are on your mind. Let us know what stuff you're enjoying that we're doing, what you'd like to hear coming up in future podcasts. We've got a whole uh, range of different things that we've got planned, in, including some uh, new interview uh, guests coming very soon as well. But it'd be great to to, to hear from our listeners and and see what they would like to, to have us uh, cover on the show. But those are the questions for this week, mate. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, there we go. Let's wrap it up. Um, always good to have a catch up with you, mate. This week's been really good for me. Just doing this podcast has been great, but also this week of, you know, sorting my guitar out has been so rewarding. So thanks to that. So if you're listening and you want to feel rewarded like that, go back to, I think it's episode six and seven um, of our podcast and listen to Kieran's steps for maintaining and setting up your guitars on a regular basis, because if you follow those steps, you will feel the same as I do. You'll end up feeling like you've got a new guitar. Oh, well, thanks for saying that, mate. And yeah, I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was of use. And you know, to be fair, you you applied yourself and you you went for it and you did your research as well and you did a bit more additional reading and you just went for it. And I'm I'm, I'm delighted, mate. You, you've done it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've done that physically yourself. So you know, <laughs> good, good on you, mate. Thanks, Kieran. And I will speak to you next week. Yeah, cheers, pal. Have a great week. Speak to you next week. You too, buddy. Well, that was another super fun conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember to come over to our social media pages, tell us what you think, um, ask us some questions, come and say hello, anything at all, share some information with us, give us ideas for podcasts that you'd like to hear and subjects that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. And uh, brilliant. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.